All right, we are in Philippians chapter 1 again, so if you have a Bible, that'd be the place to go. Um, if you've been around ITC for a while, you have probably picked up on the fact that one of, the, one of my joys is to, to preach texts that I call coffee mug verses, okay? Th- these are the ones that, for whatever reason, find their way onto Christian paraphernalia around the world, and uh, so we know the verses, um, but sometimes not full enough. See, see here's, the, here's the deal. When I, when I came to this text, I thought, well, here's one of them. Here's one of those coffee mug verses. This is probably on a Christian calendar somewhere, no doubt. And, and, and so I thought, well, I'm going to go into this passage, and I'm, I'm going to expose it for what it is and really give people uh, the right understanding of this. You all probably know it. It was part of last week's sermon, and like I said, you've been exposed another way. So um, why don't you finish this verse for me just to prove to me that you all know it. For me, to live is Christ and, see, there you go. You all have some paraphernalia somewhere with this verse on it, okay? And, and, and so I came to this text, and I thought, oh, I'm going to really blow this thing up, and we're going we're gonna to show how we can get at this a little bit better. I thought I would show how to look at this rightly, but as I came to this text and started to prepare to preach, it dawned on me, I think we do understand this text rightly. Okay, so, so my goal isn't to get us to a place where we understand it rightly, because we look at it rightly, but we don't look at it deeply. We don't look at it deeply. And so my goal today is to walk you through this passage and, and the whole text here and give you the richness that this text deserves. So I'm in verse 19. We'll, we'll focus kind of on the second part of this, but verse 19. I will rejoice, Paul says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This text, as I said, we're going to focus on the second part of this, and and where I want to get you today is this. Let your death and your life honor your Lord. There's two halves. Let let your death and your life honor your Lord. Last week, Corey did a good job uh, getting us into the first part of this passage, but we're going to back up into it a little bit, into verse 20, so I can hopefully show you um, how vital it is to see how this all fits together. So verse 20 Paul says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Christ will be honored whether by life or by death. Now, the first part of what I think we have to do is to chase down this idea of honored. Now, honored isn't one of those words that I typically use. In fact, the the very word as we hear it here uh, drudges up in my mind something that's not all that exciting or heart-gripping. Okay, for me, honored is, is the type of word I would, 
uh, here in like a British independent film, which by the way, don't really stir my heart very often, okay? And, and so I read this and it's like honored. Well, that's honored? The NIV does a little bit better job translating it here. It says exalted, that, that Christ would be exalted, lifted high in my body, whether by life or by death. And those of you who have the King James Version will go with you today because I think this is absolutely a great translation that King James says that Christ would be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Okay? That, that Christ would be magnified. It, now think of that for a minute. There's a couple of different ways that we can even think of magnification. One of them is to take something small, Okay, for, for those of you guys, you remember this. You were five, and you found a magnifying glass, right? So you found something small outside. It may or may not have crawled around on the driveway, and so you decided to kill it with the magnifying glass, <laughs> with the heat of God's sun. And then um, after that, maybe you took the magnifying glass, and what you did is you made that small thing, that small ant, and you magnified it so that it looked bigger than it is. You could see it well. That's one way that you can use magnification. The other way to use magnification is, is to look out at something that is already very great and very expansive, and you can magnify it in such a way that it allows you to see it more clearly. Okay, So think of a uh, clear summer night, and you're outside camping, and what do you bring along? You bring along the telescope. Well, what you're trying to do is bring that great thing that is out in space, and you're trying to see it better with the magnification. You're trying to see more of what is actually there, more of the reality that is really out there. And you magnify it in such a way that you see it for what it is. And when you do, you say, wow. Wow. I think that that's the type of magnification that Paul is talking about. That he wants his life to be lived in such a way that, that we see the glory of Jesus Christ and we say, wow. Not that we magnify him in a way that, that, that makes him into more than what he is, but that we see him for more of what he is. He is that constellation. He is that galaxy that is infinitely greater than we can probably imagine. And as it's magnified, we see it for more of what it is and we say, In other words, Paul wants to live in such a way that as, as people watch his life unfold, they say Jesus Christ must be great. This has been my burden and my, my passion for a while. I, I'd say maybe this past year, it's been, it's been a hard journey for me because I've, I've been asking this question, and I, and I don't know that I've gotten the greatest answers, but the, but the question is, Lord, what do you want to do with my life that you would be exalted, that you would be magnified in this way? And, and honestly, the, the question for me personally, it gets hard because a lot of people, you know, say, oh, you're a pastor, so, so you're automatically, no, trust me, no, okay? So I'm constantly asking the question, and, and, and here's where it's hard for me. For, Peter said something later in the New Testament. He said, uh, always be ready to give an answer for those who ask you for a reason for the hope that is within you, right? Peter assumes people are asking for a reason. 
Peter is assuming that people are seeing a hope inside of you and they want to know why. Peter is assuming that people see a life that is lived differently than the world around you. And that is where I'm challenged. That is where I'm asking God, what, what is it? What, what do you want me to be involved with? How do you want me to lay down my life? I, I don't want my life to look the same as everyone else. I want to live my life in such a way that is absolutely crazy if the resurrection isn't true. Christ to be magnified and exalted and honored. Be straight with you here that this is at the core of who we are as Christians. If you're a follower of Christ today, this is the core. There's a question that, that is asked often in our world. What is the meaning of life? Okay, You don't have to ask that. This is it. That question settled for you. Yeah, we ask the questions of how and what it looks like and the applications, but the question is done. What is the meaning of life? That Christ might be exalted. That's it. That's what your life means. Now you just figure out how it works out. This was the overarching goal of Paul's life. All of what he did was was consumed with knowing Christ, with honoring Christ, with exalting Christ. It is what overarches this entire text today. And it overarches this familiar verse for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Paul says, I'm confident that Christ will be exalted, honored, magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Now, you, you have to see how those things fit together. Okay, look, look at your Bible real quick. Look at verse 20 and 21. He says, I'm confident Christ will be magnified by my life or my death. Why? Why do you have that confidence? Why are you so sure that Christ is going to be exalted in your life and your death? Then he says, here's the reason. Because to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the reason Jesus is going to be exalted. Because this is how I approach life. This is how I approach death. So it would behoove us to understand exactly what he means me to live as Christ and to die is gain. That pretty much covers it. To live, to die. You're here today and, and you're living. That's today. Tomorrow, I don't know. I don't know where you'll be tomorrow. I don't know if you'll be living tomorrow. Okay. There, there's two ends of this spectrum. There's, there's those of you who, who may be feeling a little bit more like Paul. No, not that you're in prison for your faith and on trial and going to lose your life in that way, but maybe you're closer to the death end of this thing. Maybe for you it's heart disease. Maybe for you it's a, a deployment of cancer that, that, that you're going to be dealing with. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're closer to this side. Others of you are, are young and, and you're just starting out and, and you're standing, staring down the barrel of life with both guns loaded, just ready to take the world by storm and affect things for the glory of God, hopefully, that's you. And what Paul's meaning to do here is grab both of them with his arms and say, all of it, I don't really care where you are, life or death means the same thing, that Christ is exalted. So no matter where you are today, this this word is for you. 
first thing we'll say is this, let your death magnify your Lord. Let your death exalt Christ, make him look glorious. Verse 21 and 23. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul says. Verse 23, he says, I'm hard pressed. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. On the face of it, this seems to be an odd idea. That, that death is something that actually brings glory to Christ. How can, how can my death do something to honor Jesus? And, and Paul's going to end up explaining this to us a little bit. And what I think we need to understand is that it isn't so much the manner in which we die, it's the manner with which we approach death. It's our perspective, it's our attitude, it's how we come to death and how we process this entire thing that will happen to us. Look again at verse 21. To die is gain. So in other words, Paul is putting up death and he's saying that equals gain. The way he processes death is to say that in some way, death is a benefit to him or to his cause or to the things that he really cares about, death is gain. Some have approached this text and said, well, this was in the context of Greek philosophy. Certainly Paul was ministering in the Greek world, and Greek philosophy generally saw that, that the things of this physical world were inherently evil and to be escaped. And the things of, of, of the other world, the, the spiritual things, you might say, those were the good things. So Greeks would look at death and say, yes, death is great because it frees us from this horrible shell and lets us get out of this evil physical world. Paul was not a Greek thinker. He was a biblical thinker. Paul wasn't excited to escape life because life is bad. He was excited because what he saw in the next phase was greater. This is how he put it. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. See, this is the, this is the core. This is why death is gain, see? To be with Christ is far better. You see, there is a passion in the life of a Christian, or there ought to be a passion in the life of a Christian to be close to the Lord. And, and this passion so overwhelms us, this passion to be close to Christ, that death can't kill it, it actually fulfills it. In this weird twist, the thing that, that should actually kill a passion, the life passion of a person, in the pursuit of someone in life, to glorify Christ, to be close to Him, death actually brings it about in a greater way than they could have ever imagined. Paul's entire life goal and passion was to know Jesus in a deeper way. He spent his life laboring to, to lay down his own life for the advance of Christ's glory. And then finally, Paul looks at death and says, no, no, this still exalts that Lord. Last night I was preparing um, to preach and ran across a, a part of a sermon from another pastor and I want you to listen to what it said quote 
death is a threat to the degree that it frustrates our goals, our greatest goals. Death is fearful to the degree that it threatens to rob you of what you value most. But Paul valued Christ most. He looked at death and he didn't see it as a frustration. He saw it as an occasion for the fulfillment of his highest value, that Christ might be magnified. That's a way to think of death why Christ, or this is why Paul can say to be with Christ, it's, it's better by far. Some of you might hear that and, and, and hear about this, to be with Christ, and this is better by far, and you might think something along the lines of, yeah, but that, that confidence, that was Paul. It was the Apostle Paul. Of course he should be confident. Of course, of course he should be excited that, that, that when he dies, he's going right into the presence of the Lord. He's an Apostle. Have you met me? I'm not one of those. Paul was holy, set apart unto God. I, not so much. But you see, what I think is going on here is not Paul speaking of his particular situation only. I think he's talking about something in a principled way. He does it elsewhere, actually. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is an extended quote. I'll read this to you. Paul talks about this very thing. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. By the way, this, this is a highly metaphorical passage here, so don't get tripped up when he talks about a building, he's, the tent, the building. He's talking about our physical body. Okay, so just go with me. We'll do it another time. For we know that if the tent of our earthly dwelling is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, this body, we groan which some of you did this morning as you woke up, longing to put on your heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, that is, without a body. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. Okay, so this, real quick, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this, uh, that at the coming of the Lord, when he recreates the new heavens and the new earth, we will be raised with him and get glorified bodies, just like Christ's resurrected body that cannot be sick anymore, no more cancer, no, no more death, etc. Okay, if you have questions about that, we'll do it later. So what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In other words, Paul understands for all of us that as soon as you're, you're, you're away from this body, as soon as you die and, and your, your, your soul, your, your spirit is separated from this body, that you are in the presence of Christ. You're at home with the Lord. And this is huge. This, this affects how we see death. There, there is no room here for, for some doctrine of purgatory where some of us who maybe aren't as good sit for a while until somehow we can spring ourselves or other people can spring us. No, no, no. This says someone who's trusting in Christ goes to be with the Lord and this is our hope and this is why death can be gained not just for Paul but for everybody. The real key here is to be able to say what Paul says be with Christ is, is better by far. It's, it's interesting. 
It doesn't come through very well in the translation. Paul piles up when he says better by far. He piles up like three different comparative words. It, it, would, it would almost sound odd. It would sound like it's way more better best by far. <laughs> Something like that. Think of a child who's just trying to tell you how wonderful something is. That's what Paul's doing. And to be with Christ is like that. And so, so my, my question would be this. Would you say that with him? Could you say that with him? I don't, I don't want us to be ignorant in this passage. Paul is writing this letter to those who are called saints. Okay, that word just means one's made holy by what Christ did. Okay? He writes to those, he says, who are in Christ Jesus, those believing in his sacrifice, trusting in Christ alone. So I ask, is this with Christ better by far future? Is this for every single person everywhere who has ever lived, whoever does live? This type, of, this type of hope of a future shouldn't even be possible. It shouldn't be possible for us to, to look at death and say, well, that is gain. It should be unthinkable for us to look forward to the moment of our death and think this is better. Here's the reality. You and I were created by God to live for his glory alone. Our purpose has always been that we would exalt Christ, that we would live as a reflector of his character and his goodness and his love and his justice and his holiness. That was what we were created for. The unfortunate part is that most of us in this room haven't done it. Oh, wait, wait. All of us. Scripture says all have fallen short of, of reflecting that glory the way we should. And it isn't just failure, it's rebellion. In some sense, instead of glorifying God the way we were supposed to, all of our sin in some sense glorifies us instead. And so we come to this and we say, oh, death, death is gain, death is wonderful. It'd be, it'd be far better to, to endure death and stand before God. Are you crazy? Scripture says this in Hebrews 9:27. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So how on earth can we look at death knowing that we will stand before God with all of our sin and say that is good? Here's the answer. Because one already stood in your place with all of your sin. name is Jesus. In his death on the cross, Jesus Christ bore your shame and your failure and your guilt and your unrighteousness. That dark day at Calvary, Jesus Christ took upon his back your lies and mine. He took our gossip he took our prideful positioning. He took our sexual sin. He took our 
lusts of the heart. He took our drunkenness. He took our our backbiting. He took our slander. He took our self-exalting manipulation. He took our lack of submission to authority. He took our abuse of authority and every other disobedience and idolatry of every flavor. He took it upon his back. And scripture says he went to the tree, which meant he bore your curse. You will not stand before the judge of all the earth in your sin because Jesus already has. Paul would later say, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Romans, he says, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and now we're justified, we're made right with God by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That word means a sacrifice that absorbs the wrath of God. God put him forward as a sacrifice that absorbs the wrath of God by his blood to be received by faith. And it's at this point that all who who flee to Christ in repentance and faith are forgiven. They've been given a new standing because of God's dear son, and, and now the sting of death is gone. And now the enemy that is death is defeated. And now to die is truly better by far. Every once in a while, um, people ask me um, about my preaching and specifically about uh, giving invitations to accept Christ. Um, What that means in in most people's mind is um, I stand up or I raise my hand or I sign a card somewhere that says I'm following Christ, I'm trusting in him. And every once in a while I get the, the question, why don't you... Um, do invitations and honestly here's here's part of why I feel like I am every single week see in the scriptures there's rarely a time where it says if you just pray a prayer or if you just walk forward at this time in a service then you'll be saved what it says in the scriptures is hear the gospel Hear the gospel of Jesus, that he did what you cannot do. He lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death you couldn't die, but should have. He did this in your place, and the gospel calls us to repent, to turn from sin and self, to turn from our rebellion and our wickedness, and trust in him, to flee to him, saying, you have provided the sacrifice that can forgive me. That's called repentance and faith. And in the Bible, that is how someone is saved. And you see, this issue isn't one... that we, we sign a card. It's, it's one that continues throughout our life. If you've truly repented and you've truly put your faith in Christ, you'll go on repenting. You'll continue to turn away from sin. You'll continue to trust in Jesus. Every time you sin, you'll come back to him for forgiveness. You'll glorify this Lord who sacrificed himself on your behalf. There is not a prayer that you need to pray. There is not a hand that you need to raise. There is one thing that you need to do, come to Christ in repentance and faith. 
If you have not done that, I invite you to do it today. He has open arms, and he's done everything required to forgive you. Later, we'll partake of communion together, which is a celebration of Christ's salvation. And if you are a Christian today, or you've become one today, I invite you to celebrate that with us. For those of you who have already been in that place, you've trusted Christ and you've gone on trusting him, maybe for years, maybe for decades, these texts are extremely practical. Let me read this again. For me to die is gain. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Pastorally, this has huge, huge implications, and I'm going to admit this to you. I, I have not had to deal with death very much at all. Okay, I, I've never lost someone who's extremely close to me. I've never uh, really faced the prospect of dying myself. And so I hesitated in this text to, to, to talk this way about death. And then I was convicted as I was preparing. Um, I'm, I'm not, not ever really called to minister to you on the basis of my experience. I'm always called to minister to you based on the authority of the living word of God. Okay? And so, so that's all I'm going to do today. This text and this concept, you might say this doctrine, has to sink deeply into our souls. Because there's a day coming when, when, when death is going to be a reality. Okay, let me, let me just say this. Um, how many of you, just right now as you think about um, your life, how many of you are planning at some point to die? Anybody? Okay, good. So this is relevant to most. All right? See, this is the thing. A lot of times people say, you've really got to make preaching relevant, and sometimes I think, well, this is relevant to these people, and this is relevant to these people. Well, this one, pretty much, <laughs> I mean, like, what are you going to do? So, so all of us are heading toward this thing, and so if there's anything that's practical, it's to try to think about how, how do we die as Christians? And see, this is what I'm saying, that, that this thing that Paul is giving to us, this death is gained, this better by far, this being with Christ, this is a gospel, this is a doctrine that has to sink down deeply into us because a day is coming for you and for me and I don't know when it is and when it comes, this better be deep in your core. A friend of mine a few years ago was talking about some of these types of things and, and he gave me an illustration and he, he said, Think about when you're, when you're barbecuing. So just let's do this now. Guys, think about when you're barbecuing. You go and you get a great cut of meat. and It's thick, and you are excited about this thing. But what you do is you leave it in the freezer for a week. So it's like a rock. So then 10 minutes before you have to cook this thing, it's like, oh, man, what do I do? Oh, I've got a microwave. Okay, so I'll throw it in the microwave and try to defrost this thing. But I'm going to have to flavor it. So you go to the fridge, and there's got to be something I can slather on this sucker. And so you get out a bottle of A1, and uh, this half-still-frozen, microwaved, hot-around-the-edges, frozen-in-the-middle thing, you start to brush on, like, your emerald, like, oh, this is going to be good, and you brush on this sauce. And you turn on the barbecue, and what happens to that glorious marinade that you just wiped on there? It burns off. 
It's not going to remain. It's just on the surface. And so the picture is that if that's you, then, then this type of theology, if you get to the day of your death and you say, oh my gosh, where is hope? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to handle this? You'll burn off. But there's another option, you see, where, where, we, where we let things soak in deeply. You, you let this truly marinate. And then what happens is you turn on that heat, and, and that heat is actually cooking it even deep, more deeply into the meat. And it tastes better than you could have ever hoped for because it is so ingrained in, in the essence of what that piece of meat is. That's to be our lives. That's to be this type of theology. That This, this marinates so much within us that the, when that day comes, and it's coming, by the way, where you face death, or you face death, or you face death, what happens is that it's so deeply in us that it starts to look glorious. And you see what's really there. Because in that, that day, if this is soaked deeply in, you'll say the same thing as Paul. You'll look at death and say, it's gain. To be with Christ is better by far. Folks, we're Christians. This is how we die. We die with expectation. We die with hope. We die with confidence. Yeah, yeah we grieve because we leave those we love, but we rejoice because our, our future is not one of judgment. It's one of joy. Our future is not one of forsakenness. It's one of face-to-face -face with the one who saved us and loved us. This is, this is how we die. Because to be with Christ is better by far. You want to know what kind of death magnifies your Lord? This is it. This is the attitude that makes it happen. Because we look to him, because we trust him, because we long to be with him. Let your death magnify your Lord. Second, let your life magnify your Lord. To me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. For me, to live is Christ. It's an, it's an odd phrase. The, the reality is this is where most of us are. Most of us, this week, probably won't die. We're going to go on living. Most of us, this year, probably won't die. Most of us, this decade, probably won't die. So now we've got to think not just about death, but, but about what this life means. What is it to live is Christ. Verse 22, Paul gets at this a little bit more with a definition. To me, to live is Christ. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. So, to live, which is to go on living, as he says in verse 22, to go on living means fruitful labor, okay? To live as Christ means fruitful labor. So let's not all just throw this around because it's on my coffee mug in the morning. Oh, to me, to live as Christ, really, is to wake up tomorrow morning. Does that equal for you fruitful kingdom, Christ-exalting labor? It may. We want to sharpen our view here of what it means to be fruitful because if we, we can just bring our own definitions, oh, it was 
It was really fruitful. I had a good day. I got to be with my wife. I got to do these things. Well, that was fruitful. But let's listen. Let's listen to what Paul claims as being fruitful. Verse 22, if I'm to live on, that means fruitful labor for me. Verse 24, to remain in the flesh, that means go on living, is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. The first thing that I think we have to say about Paul seeing fruitful labor is this. Fruitful labor equals something that is others-focused. Paul sees bearing fruit as ministering to these people. He says, I'm going to stay because I'm convinced that you need me to. That you need encouragement, that you need better teaching, that you need grounding in the gospel. And so I'm going to stay, and this is fruitful for you. This is others-focused. Later, Paul, in this letter, will call us to think of others' needs above ourselves. And, And he's just living out the example here that we lift our eyes from our own lives and from our own troubles and our own trials and realize that everybody else has them too. And a Christ-like life, one that magnifies the Lord, one that is fruitful, is one that looks to your brothers and sisters in Christ and says, what can I do to encourage you and to exalt Christ? Fruitful labor is others-focused. So to live a life that is Christ means serving others, but let's get specific. Verse 25, Paul says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. There's two things that are mentioned here, and they're very closely tied. The first is progress in the faith. Now, in the New Testament, there's two ways that that faith is uh, spoken of. The first is to talk about your subjective, your act of believing. Your, your act of trusting, okay? Um, the second is to talk about the faith, like the Christian faith. Jude talks about the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. This is a body of, of, of truth. This is a body of doctrine. I would say it's, it's the essence of the gospel. This gospel, Paul's saying that, that I'm going to work, that you progress in faith. That you would know the reality of God in deeper ways, that you would know your own sinful condition, that you would know more the work of Christ on the cross, that you would know more the implications of that work, not, not just to save you, but to, to grow you. That's Paul's goal. But not just progress, not just changing for the better, not just taking a step forward in this gospel, but having joy. There's, in our, everything here, our website, our bylaws, everything, everything we have, we have a statement that, that this church exists for the glory of God and the good of people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It kind of sounds nebulous, actually. I should reword it someday. The good of people, you know what I mean by the good of people? I mean, first, people get saved. 
people come to a knowledge. People, people get eternal good in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then once they get saved, you know what? I have envisioned there the good of people. So you guys are all saved. Do I care about your good anymore? I do. And your good comes as you see more of Christ, as he is magnified, as, he, as you see more of his glory in the gospel. That is good for you. And it starts to change you and you start to become the type of person that God means for you to be and you start to live the type of life that God means for you to live. And that is good. And you see that all comes through the gospel. Joy, I don't think, I don't think, is primarily about things that happen to you or around you. I think that joy is something so deep that it happens in spite of the things that happen to you and around you. Think, think about what Paul is doing right now. This book, go through this book and circle every time he says joy or rejoice. Where was he writing it? In prison. Staring down death for the ministry. So joy is something that's much deeper than what happens to you. It's something, something that happens in you. Paul says he wants to work that that joy would be deepened in his people. Let me back up here and try to put this together. To live equals Christ. To go on living means fruitful labor. Fruitful labor equals laboring so people progress and have joy in the gospel. Back up one further. Paul said, this is how Christ would be magnified in your body, by life or by death. Christ is magnified when you wake up every day and say, what can I do to labor so that the kingdom goes forward, so that people come to Christ, and so those who have already come to Christ see him more deeply, live for him in greater ways. To live is Christ. Here's my question. Would you be able to say it? Where's the area where you would say, I, I'm stepping out. I'm stepping out for, for fruitful labor. I'm stepping out to, to do something that people would look at and they'd ask for a reason for the hope that is within me because it looks so crazy. Sometimes these texts are hard for me because I, I think about this church. I think about where we're where we're going as a church and, and what God has in store for us over the years. And um, I look forward, and, and okay, I'm 32 years old right now. And by God's grace, um, I mean, I don't know how long I have, but I'd love to say that I'll be able to minister for another 30 years. And so I look at these types of texts about the, that God would be magnified in our lives and that we would fruitful labor and these things. And, and, I, and I ask myself the question, okay, so, so if that should happen, if, if God should graciously give me that time, and we come here, okay, so October 9th, 2041, 
we just all come here. Some of you will be dead, let's face it, but I'm not being mean, I'm just saying. So, so the rest of us, so, so we come and, and, and all of us just come back 30 years from now. And what do we do? We open scriptures and we talk about this stuff. Would I be content with that? No. Yes, there will always be the scriptures. Yes, this is always going to be what the people of God do. But, but you're meant for more. You're meant to exalt Jesus in your neighborhood and in your city and among refugees, thousands of them who live in this city, and among the nations who are unreached, 6,700 people groups who are still unreached. You are meant for fruitful labor so that you can wake up and you can actually say in truth to live in is Christ and not be a hypocrite. I have great dreams for this church, and it doesn't mean in 30 years we just all come and shake hands and do this one more time. This stuff is supposed to affect us, and it's supposed to affect me. If you feel like I'm judging you or something right now, trust me, I'm passionate because this is at me. And I don't want to come here in 30 years and say there really wasn't any fruitful labor. Paul says, I'm confident that Christ will be exalted, magnified, made to look glorious by my life or my death. And I want so badly to be able to say that. And my prayer is that you do too.